This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Yeah, before we get into talking about moms, um, let's talk about this open house. You're working so much on it and we're excited about it. What is it? Well, we wanted to have an open house so that you, our listeners, would have a chance to come and meet the With You in the Weeds team. So on Friday, March 1st, from 5 to 7 p.m., you can come and enjoy some food and drinks and come meet the team and just kind of hear about what we are excited about and how God is growing this podcast and this ministry is an extension of Crossing Counseling. Yeah, it's good food, right? (laughs) Isn't it? Like you can mingle well, in a beautiful yes, atmosphere. It will be very nice and relaxing. Yes. These people have changed my life to some degree. I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah. I'll get another drink and some more food. Yes. And meet some more people. It's going to be fun. We hope that you can join us. And if you would like to register and sign up to come, please go to our website, withyouintheweeds.com, and you will see all the information, all the details, and there's a link for you to RSVP. So we hope to see you there. Withyouintheweeds.com. Yep. There's your one-stop information shop. Absolutely. So sign up today, and we hope to see you on Friday, March 1st. All right. Now listen to What's Wrong With Your Mom. (laughs) Your Difficult Mother. (laughs) Okay. All right. Welcome back to With You in the Weeds. I'm here with Austin today. Hey, Hey, bud. Yeah. Snow day, quotes. Yeah, right. (laughs) Your kids are home from school today. God bless Polly for hanging out right now. I think they're sledding. Oh, fun. Trying to because there's not that much snow. It's more fun for the kids than the parents. But here we are in the warm, cozy studio, Mm -hmm. and we are in the middle of our Managing Your Dysfunctional Family series. And before we get started, I just want to remind people that we have a website now, and it's awesome. And we hope you go check it out. It's withyouintheweeds.com. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and that will give you just, you know, episode recaps, free resources, just a way to stay connected with us throughout the week. So please check that out. And today we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite member of the family, mm-hmm. mothers. <laughs> Didn't you say, what was it, throw mama from the train? train. You seen that that movie years ago? (laughs) Many people may not know that reference, but you know, mothers bless their heart. We we love them and yet, you know, they can be quite the source of frustration in our lives. And so we're gonna try to tackle that in today's episode called Your Difficult Mother. And I I just was thinking about over the years, you know, I've been doing counseling for 17 years now. So I have a lot of stories. You told a great one the other day in our planning meeting, and I want to hear it. Well, you know, this has happened more than once where I'm meeting with a client and they start opening up about their mother and some things that mom's been doing that's been hurtful. And sure enough, they reach into their purse or their bag and they pull out their phone 
and they say, oh my goodness, I just need to check real quick and make sure I didn't, you know, accidentally dial my mom on the way in That's here and cr- she'd be listening to Man, us. Man, I, I have yet to have that happen, but that is, that's yes. something. And so what it tells me is that mom is in your head. She got some real estate. She got, she's, she's occupying up, yes, space. She's yep. taking up real estate. And, and I think that this is true with how the brain works and attachment research that, you know, we're so bonded to our parents and to our caregivers. They kind of go with us everywhere we go. We don't always recognize that. But the main point is that your mother is somewhere in your head. She kind of lives inside of you somewhere. And even when you're an adult, you might be having a conversation and there might be a little part of you that worries, oh no, is mom in the room? Is she listening to what I'm saying? And, you know, I think it's just an important thing to understand. And of course, that makes for good, a good therapeutic session because you can really dig into that, right? right? And kind of go down that rabbit trail. But um, we just want to kind of acknowledge that. And last time you guys talked about fathers and you used a formula that I really like, and we're going to follow it again today. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good is just, you know, the normal ways that mothers may impact and influence their child's development. The bad is when mothers, maybe because of their own baggage or immaturity, maybe their own lack of guidance, they're either consciously or subconsciously bringing pain and maybe harm to their children. And then lastly, we're going to look at the ugly. You know, these are mothers who can inflict incredible damage on their children with really no chance of repair, no indication of remorse or a willingness to make amends when they've hurt their children. And and at the end of all this, we're going to say, okay, now what? So yeah. we have big ambitions today, but let's go ahead and get started. And what do we, how do we want to kick this off? Yeah. Austin? You know, so much has been written on, you know, the, the technical side of mothering, feeding times, nutrition, sleep, uh, sleep, and then how to sleep train. <laughs> sleep, sleep, <laughs> sleep, and all the sleep. from experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but comparatively, there's not a lot written to uh, address how you were mothered and how we were mothered and cared for in that sense is, is really important because mom is the first and most powerful person to shape and mold uh, really important things like patterns of intimacy, relating, um, being separate, but then not separate from mom. I mean, we think about how to handle failure, emotions, expectations, ideals, grief and loss, all the other things. Um, and that, that, part of us guarantees whether or not we're going to be successful at love at work. In other words, mom has a really Mm -hmm. uh, impactful presence in our lives for better and for worse. And, you know, we live in a fallen world. Nothing's perfect. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's Mm -hmm. both. And there's, there's a mix of, of good and not so good. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're going to kick things off by talking about good mothers and, you know, where the Bible starts in creation. You know, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis you know, that's where everything gets started. And God created Adam, he created Eve. And so we think mothers do play a special role. And where does that get started for us, Austin? Yeah, I I mean, gosh, we could talk so much about this. I'll just do quick, quick, quick here. Think about all the ways God could have created us. You know, he could have just made one genderless, asexual being who was self-sufficient and Mm -hmm. Mm self-reproducing, but he didn't. He intentionally chose to create men and women. And guess what? Only one of them Mm. has the biological capacity to sustain and nurture human life, and that's the woman. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, aka the mother. Now, I know in broader secular culture at the moment, a lot of those assumptions are being tested. And not everybody agrees with this, but this is what the Bible teaches, and we're going to stick with it. Mm -hmm. um, but, but think about this. You know, women are hardwired to nurture and sustain the life of the babies that they birth in inherently. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, John, Father John, he's not here today, but he made some great points as we were planning this episode. He talked about, you know, no, no man can bring new life into this world. Obviously, we play a part in that, mm -hmm. but we don't actually bring the baby into the world. And, and at minimum, this points to the unique role and advantage that a woman possesses. You know, not only does she house and nurture and deliver new life, but because of this uniqueness, she has a much more keen awareness of what's needed to nurture and grow life and a greater insight into what's needed to develop and nurture a relationship. Now, fathers and men can have this, but we're talking broad mm -hmm. categories, the normal thing that falls in mother's court. And, you know, it, this gives, I don't know, mother's a sort of center of gravity with each child that's very powerful and influential. And then, you know, one more thing for me, and I'd love clearly to hear from you, Lynn, God's original intent for mothers was and is to have them be the primary caretaker I think to meet the emotional needs of their children because of this inherent and inborn capacity to help their kids. I mean, at one point, think about it, their kids literally were part of mm -hmm. them, part of you. Mm -hmm. And so they can help their kids feel seen, mm -hmm. soothed, safe, secure. Those are the four S's of attachment. Now, again, fathers can do this and in a lot of ways should do this, but mothers are hardwired to do this primarily and more naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. You know, again, we're speaking generally, you know, across the spectrum. And I, I just want to emphasize, too, that, you know, we're talking about good mothers, but we're not talking about perfection. Mm, that's a so I'm so glad you made that yes. distinction. And and so we're not here to like lay on guilt on any right. any mother that may be listening to this. Right. Um, we in fact, we just finished a parenting series where we talked about good enough parenting. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't about, you know putting an ideal out there that no one can achieve. So before we get into the nuts and bolts, I want to say that a good mom loses their temper. A good mom gets angry at their kids. A good mom drops the ball and has mom fail moments. A good mom gets exhausted and, and you know, has her limits. A good, mm -hmm. a good mom can't meet all of her child's needs. Good moms have seasons of struggle or maybe they battle vulnerabilities or they carry responsibilities or face pressures that take their time, their energy, and their attention away from their children. And this is normal. So this can't be avoided. Life is hard. And I can speak from personal experiences that, you know, you have hard seasons where you just aren't available to meet your child's needs. Mm -hmm. You and, can't. And you can't meet all of your child's mm -hmm. needs. But that doesn't make you a bad mom. Right. But you asked a good question as we went into this episode. Well, what does make a good mm. mother? Mm. And interestingly, I had to really think about that. You'd think I would just, you know, have an answer off the top of my head. But I spent a little time coming up with, I guess, kind of a working definition of what makes a good mother. And here's what I came up with. I said that a good mother respects her child as a valuable human separate from herself that is worthy of dignity and care. A good mother strives to meet her child's needs without resentment, contempt, or hostility towards the child. A good mother creates a safe place 
for the vulnerable and fragile child to develop and grow without fear, shame, or self-contempt. A good mother shows affection, admiration, empathy, and compassion towards her children while also providing guidance, discipline, correction, and protection through all stages of development. Now, I, I, I think you might notice that in there I'm not talking about a mom cooks dinner every night hmm. and a mom, mm-hmm. you know, signs her kid up for every yeah, it, it's, activity it's almost, that's out there. It's almost like those can be part of it, but you just named some qualities, yes, character right. qualities yes. and patterns that are set mm-hmm. less about the things that they do, which is important, right? but foundationally yes. that you're speaking to that. Yeah. And again, you know, this is a guide. This, this isn't, you know, something that we achieve at all times, but generally speaking, these are the characteristics that I would say you know, make for a good mother. Mm. And I was thinking about Shay's mom, Betty. Mm. She's no longer with us, but she was such a great woman, and I loved and admired her. And she used to say to me, you know, once you're a mother, you're never free again. <laughs> and I would just like, you know, my shoulders would sag in exhaustion. Thank you so much, Betty. Right. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> That's so encouraging. But you know what? It was true. And what she meant by it was is once you bring a child into the world, a good mother will always think of that child, feel a pull towards protecting them, and really be connected to them forever, even when the child grows into adulthood. And I think it just speaks to that very special bond that a mother has with her child that's kind of just hard to put into words. I don't know. You're yeah. you you're not a mom, so I don't you're, know exactly. You're looking to me to, to can you confirm it. this? I'm just gonna have to say I'm gonna trust you. Yes. <laughs> but yes. all of that, you know, in my experience, obviously as a son and then with Polly, who's a mother as well, that that seems that seems right, especially, man, mm-hmm. hearing the good moms lose their temper. Mm-hmm. And good moms can't do it all. Like that's that's yeah. That really in the normal range of just life relieves a lot of stuff for that, sure. That's great. So, but yeah. we're also talking about the bad. So we've covered the good. Yeah. Let's move into the bad. What do we got? Yeah, this? you know, bad mothers are the ones who who might and likely do have some good intent. They're trying to do their best, but they're unable or they're unwilling to understand any harmful and negative impact Mm -hmm. that they have on their kids. And to get a little more specific, we're going to name five different kinds of bad mothers. And and as you hear these, try to discern which of these maybe best describes your mother, might be multiple ones too. And all of these types, think of them kind of on a spectrum, maybe from mild to severe. Um, But the five types we're talking about, we're getting um, from Susan Forward's book, Mothers Who Can't Love. Mm-hmm. Now, this is written specifically to daughters, but man, I think this applies to, mm-hmm. to sons as well. Sure. Um, so we'll tackle the first four categories in the bad, uh, and then we'll save the last one for the ugly. Okay, so, and I'm going to punt this to you, Lynn. The first category is the severely narcissistic mm-hmm. mother. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, well, what, what a place to start, um, the narcissistic mother. And you know, you know me, you know that narcissism is kind of a special area of interest of mine. And I will say that I have had, again, over the years, many, many, many clients who they're in their adult years and they're working on healing from the hurtful effects of having either a narcissistic father or mother. So, but today we're talking about Mm -hmm. mothers. And I think often we do associate narcissistic tendencies with men But I will say that there are plenty of women and mothers who bear these signs and they inflict a lot of damage. Um, Narcissistic mothers act as if they're loving their kids, but it's actually an illusion of love because the love only comes 
when the child is compliant and conforms mm. to the mother's So wishes. when they're performing and, you yeah. know, keeping inside their rules. Yeah. 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 Mom's rules. And the things I'm going to say here are hard. They're hard for me to say. They're hard for me to hear and ingest. And if you're listening and you start to kind of have some light bulbs go on and you kind of have a sinking feeling, I just want to say I get that. And I and I think that this is courageous to even listen and consider, you know, what category might your mom fall in. But, you know, I've done some previous episodes with my dad on narcissism and you can go back and listen to those, but we talk about how someone who's narcissistic filters everything through two primary questions, and that are, and those questions are, how does this make me look, and how does this make me feel? So now if we're using this grid for a mother, basically anything the child does that makes the mother look bad or feel bad, this is something the mom can't tolerate because it's of primary importance for her to look good and feel good about herself. Mm. So if the kid does anything that threatens these two goals, that needs to be shut down, punished, cut off. There's no room for that. And the child is left to basically manage their feelings on their own. Yeah, so it seems like the mother goes from, hey, this is my child, to actually now this is a threat. This mm-hmm. is somebody that I'm in competition against. Mm-hmm. And if they make me look bad or feel bad, that's got to go, regardless exactly. of where the kid's at. Yeah. yeah. And that leads to kind of the next characteristic in this category is, you know, if you're, if the child, you know, let's say shines or excels or has a particular gifting or a beauty about them, mm. then this becomes a threat. Like you said, it becomes competition to the mother and it's going to either be exploited to the mother's benefit so that she looks good, Uh, right? Or it needs to be snuffed out and destroyed because if it feels like a threat and the mother feels overshadowed by it, then she's seeking to destroy that gifting or that beauty in the child. So if the the mom's going to exploit it, let's say a kid gets praised for how good they are, how smart they are. Mm-hmm. Mom might say something like, well, you know where she gets it, it from, exactly. right? Exactly. It's because of all the training that we've done. Yes. Aren't you so thankful yeah. that I, little Su- little Susie, have been yeah, putting she's... such hard work? <laughs> yeah. The light goes back to her. Exactly. Rather, can't let she the kid cannot... shine. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, another example might be like, let's say, you know, you have some great news that you want to share at a family gathering. And you know, this would be a normal time of celebration. Maybe you're announcing that you got a new job or that you're pregnant or, you know, something good has happened in your life. And, you know, a good mother is going to respond, oh, I'm so thrilled for you. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. If you have a narcissistic mother, this scene would unfold very differently. At the announcement of the good news, your mother might get up and leave the room or she might make a scene And she might say, well, how long have you known about this? Why wasn't I the first person to know? Why are you telling everyone? You should have called me and told me. So again, the spotlight was supposed to be on you. It's like a wet blanket on the celebration. Right, (laughs) right. And instead, the focus has to stay on the mom Mm. and the mom's needs. And, you know, of course, the backlash might be that now she's mad at you and you get the silent treatment. And, you know, everything gets diverted back to the narcissistic mother. Mm. And when this, you know, unfolds and let's say you go back to her and say, you know, mom, you know, you hurt my feelings. Well, now we have a war on our hands because all the defense mechanisms that go along with narcissism, you know, get engaged and your mom might get very angry. She gets 
critical, hmm. you know, and mothers can say things that are so hurtful. I mean, to the point where it would take your breath away, like things mm-hmm. that you would just never think that a, a mother would say to her child. And these words come out of her mouth. And, you know, so your feelings are now being trampled on. She can't respect them. Or maybe she scapegoats you and turns everything back on you. You know, you're the one to blame. It's your fault. She cannot take responsibility for herself. And sadly, this is more common, I think, than we realize. And many children grow up, and this is suffering, you know, when this happens. And they don't get the respect, the empathy, the nurture that they need because their mother has these narcissistic tendencies. And I will just say this is a final thought here, is that if you have the type of mother that makes you feel like, you know, nothing is enough, it's because nothing is enough. Mm. It's, it's like no matter how much love, you know, time, energy, you buy her an expensive gift, you bend over backwards to do all these things, you feel like it's not enough because in her world, it isn't. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you have a mom who's an endless hole of need, the black hole of endless need. Right. right? It's never enough. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Yeah. And the problem is with the kids and now mm-hmm. maybe the adults trying so hard to please mom and it's just, nope. Never yeah, enough. For sure. Yeah. So severely narcissistic mother, that's first type. Here's the second type of bad mother, uh, the overly enmeshed mother. Mm-hmm. And this is a mother who essentially lives vicariously through her kids. She doesn't know where she ends and her kids begin. And for these moms, separating is not an option. She's always got to be locked into the role of providing care for others. Now, eventually, I think you can probably understand how this can be very problematic if and when her kids get married. You know, think about that spouse Mm -hmm. becomes a threat to her livelihood. Um, And there's some, you know, Susan Forward, she has some of these statements that capture some implicit rules about love for the overly enmeshed mother. You know, her kids are everything and Mm -hmm. are responsible for her happiness. She can't live without her kids and they can't live without her. You know, the word no, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that means you don't love me. That's it's anathema. all or nothing. <laughs> That's not right. not allowed to say no. Yeah. And so all that to say, you know, these enmeshed mothers, they make an idol, really do, out mm-hmm. of their kids. Yeah. You know, I I like watching TLC. Yeah. We were talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Confessions like of Lynn Rush. reality Rouch. shows. You love I'm reality sorry. shows. That's another. Nobody's going to respect me anymore. Nobody's going to listen to me <laughs> Somebody anymore. throw in a, your questions answered question yeah, to Lynn Why on does this. Lynn like reality shows? Well, there's one on TLC. It's actually called Smothered. Oh my God. Okay. So it's Mothered, but smothered. there's a little S before it. And oh it's gosh. actually a great title mm-hmm. because these type of enmeshed mothers are literally doing just that. They are mm. smothering their children. Mm-hmm. And so what is portrayed in this show, I don't recommend that you go watch it. It's actually kind of makes you feel real icky and gross when mm-hmm. you watch it. But it's because there are some mothers that if they could have their way, they would never have their child move out. In fact, in some of these scenarios on the show, the mothers build a little house for their children on their property run so far, it can run be fast. in their oh line of God. sight. And every time their adult child comes in or out, I mean, they are monitoring their <laughs> every move. So this mother would never really want her child to get married, be independent. They're living vicariously through their children. They insert themselves in their adult children's lives, their marriages, their relationships. This is why it makes for good TV, though, because yeah. think of all the drama that ensues 
because it wreaks havoc in people's lives. I wonder how many, you know, in-laws and spouses are kind of looking over going, right. sounds like, like my mother-in-law. If you're, nudging, <laughs> if you're nudging your partner right now, you might have an enmeshed mother Don't start a fight between you two. <laughs> in your start, relationship. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Austin, what's the third type yeah. of mother? Um, the third type of bad mother is, is the control freak mother. And that's kind of self-explanatory. Um, this mother needs to be in control of every aspect in her world and manages everything in an attempt to maintain control. And um, they tend to lay down some pretty extreme consequences if and when uh, people and kids don't do what she wants. So, for example, you know, if you marry that man, mm. you are no longer part of this family. Mm. If you take that ridiculous job, you will not see another dime from me. If you send the kids to that school, don't expect me to help out with them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this laying down of extreme consequences in order to get her way so that she can be in control. Like emotional blackmail. 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, another quality uh, that these control freak mothers have is this standard of perfection. And we maybe touched a little bit on this with narcissistic mothers, but, but these mothers, they tend to be perfectionists and hold others, especially their kids, to impossible mm-hmm. standards. So they'll build their houses around rules, routines, and drills that are always to be repeated and never questioned. And anything less than perfection mm. is not acceptable. And, you know, from the outside, the, the kid's family might look great. House is always clean. Outward appearance is always sterling. But, you know, there's a cost to that perfection performance. And a lot of times it comes mm-hmm. at the expense of the kids. I just, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel the pressure. Like when we right. talk about this mm-hmm. controlling mom, I feel my chest kind of start mm-hmm. to constrict because you just feel like these standards are so impossible to live up to. Mm-hmm. And so if you're that child, you're just you know, worried about every move you make, that mom's going to be upset if I didn't do it the right way. That's right. You're so, always on alert. You're, on you're alert. always, it's yeah. not safe. You can't, you can never you not be okay. You can't relax. You can't relax. No, that's right. That's tough. That's right. So that's the control freak mother. Yeah. Fourth type of mother, and this is the last in our category of bad mothers, is mothers mm-hmm. who need mothering. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate Susan Forward's book here because, you know, even though there are common denominators, I think all of these are different you know, categories to really consider. And, you know, if you have a mother who needs mothering, you know, this is a mother that depends on you to take care of everything. So instead of her being your caretaker, Hmm. your mother expects and ultimately demands that you step into the mother role that she is abandoning. Okay. So in this scenario, little kids are expected to act like adults. And Austin, now that you've been doing counseling for a while, you see this, right? I get it. And it's so sad. It's, it's hard and it's sad. But yeah. here's why it can kind of go undetected for a long time is mm-hmm. because one of the positive, if you can call it that, sides of this, if you grow up this way, is that these little kids learn skills and they learn independence that serves them well later in life. So they may be very accomplished as adults, they may be taking on, you know, kind of great projects and come across as like, you're so mature for your age. You know, you're only 22 and yet you're running your own company, you know, yep. and it's like we praise that and we admire that. But what we don't consider is, is has that come at the expense of this child grew up feeling overly responsible for other people's needs, namely the mother And so now in adulthood, this role of caretaker, it's just so ingrained. It's so easy 
but they don't know what healthy boundaries are. You know what I'm thinking about sometimes, and I know you've probably seen this, is if and when people in counseling can actually voice some mm-hmm. of these dynamics, it, it's not one-to-one, but they'll kind of start acting like little kids. Mm-hmm. Like they will make eye contact, the voice will get mm-hmm. a little bit low. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh my gosh, I've never been able to share this sure. part of me. And so yeah. it, uh, that's a sign, as I see in counseling, that's a sign of health of mm-hmm. like, okay, we've put aside the performative, let me be perfect part. And now these other side of you, the little yeah. kid parts are coming out. And yet it's because they're still stuck as a, I don't right. know, six, seven, 10 year old, right. because they haven't been allowed to not be okay. They got to be perfect and they got to be the caretakers of their mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a strong manager part that has learned to manage life because since they were five or six, they had to do that. But you're right. Like what's being masked and hidden is a little kid part that never had that love and never had that nurturing. Right. Now, a lot of times this type of mother may suffer from like a mental illness, particularly depression. This keeps them turned inward and focused on themselves and their own suffering. But so then not only does the depression rob the mother from like a hopeful, fulfilling life, which is a form of suffering, Mm -hmm. but it then pulls their child into this dark spiral as well. And this child is kind of carrying this heavy burden of sadness, you know, because it's the child's responsibility to make sure mom's okay. Mm -hmm. And that is a heavy burden to carry. That's right. And I'm glad you, you know, you're bringing up this point. We're talking about these different kinds of mothers. Remember, there are things that we do, we're perpetrators, but we're also victims. And so it's complex. Mm -hmm. And us naming this, if we're naming some of these problematic dynamics, that does not take away from having compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. and understanding for, let's say, a mom who has a mental illness, you know, maybe postpartum depression just just messed with things. And now Mm -hmm. this mom doesn't have the capacity to care for. That's sad. Mm -hmm. And we can still name have the difficulties, you know, and specifically mm-hmm. with mothers who need mothering, you know, maybe they're home and physically present, mm-hmm. but their mind and their heart are a thousand miles away mm-hmm. and they won't notice and appreciate the accomplishments of their kids or they won't be able to comfort them or comfort you in your disappointment or frustration. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all that to say, um, let's recap that section. There were four types of bad mothers. We've got the narcissistic mothers, overly enmeshed mothers, control freak mothers, and mothers who need mothering. And, you know, remember, bad mothers, they might have good intent to care, but they're unable and unwilling to see, address, change the negative impacts they're having on their family and kids. And this leads us to one final type of mother who qualifies as an ugly mother. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Good, the bad, the ugly. (laughs) And and this is mothers who neglect, betray, Mm -hmm. and batter. Mm -hmm. And now we're moving into that, like you said, the ugly mother category. There is no good intent with ugly mothers. Mm -hmm. They intentionally harm their kids physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Ugly mothers are unwilling and unable to help you. And in in a lot of ways, they're satisfied in your hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, you know, from the moment her child is born, this mother is unavailable, distant, cold, and their self-centeredness swells to a level where they are intentionally neglecting their kids' needs. You know, they treat them like objects. Mm. They resent them. Maybe they blame them for life's dissatisfactions and withhold even the smallest kindness. And, you know, in the worst and most tragic, and I'll say evil cases, mm-hmm. they even fail to protect them from predators and abusers mm-hmm. or even become the abuser themselves. And, you know, when we were talking about this in our planning meeting, this is a relatively small category and thank goodness for that. But unfortunately, these types of mothers do exist. Mm -hmm. And it's why it's true. And this is so important to hear. 
there is such a thing as a bad parent. Mm -hmm. There is such a thing as a bad mother. Yeah. We hesitate to say that. Yes. Because Why? we're so, again, we want to give people a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that life is hard. Life is messy. Life is complicated. Nobody likes to kind of name something that's that, you know, icky and kind of evil. And final. <laughs> and final. Yeah, there's actually uh, something called Munchausen syndrome. And it's where a parent, but you often see this as being the mother, actually poisons their child or keeps their child sick so the child has to depend on her. Now, as a mother, that makes me feel physically ill when I see, because you see these stories on the news, you know, this happens. And so we're, we're talk, I know we're talking about some extreme examples here, but, but it's out there. And I think it's okay for us to name that and to acknowledge that because it is such a violation of the design that God intended. And I think that's why it makes us feel sick because in some sense, all of these variations are ways that go against how God designed the mother to be safe and nurturing and care for her children. And I think this needs to be said because I, especially around mothers, I think there are many rationalizations that we make about mothers and fathers, right? But they keep us from seeing and naming the truth about them. And here are just some rationalizations that I think we often use to excuse bad mothering or the ugly mother. And that is, you know, well, that's just the way she is. Or, well, she didn't really mean it. Or, well, she gave you life. She brought you into the world. You owe her. So no matter how badly she's treating you, you need to love your mother. Or, you know, she had a really difficult childhood. You don't know what she's been through. Whatever you might be feeling, she had it so much worse. And so I get it. Like, these are ways that our brain tries to make sense of things because the most terrifying thing for a child to consider is loss of connection with a parent. Totally. And yet, the point you made just a minute ago is, I think that being able to name these things actually opens you up to having more compassion, empathy, the ability to now navigate some type of relationship with your mother. It's when you don't know and you're just caught up in the the drama and in the hmm. hurt and in the pain that you're you're scared, you're angry, you're hurt, you're upset, but hmm. you have no direction forward. Yeah. At least by naming it, you now know, okay, here's what I'm dealing with. It's almost like if you don't name that, you're still caught in this room. Yes. And naming yeah. it is like an exit to where you can separate yeah. a little bit mm-hmm. and you can go, okay. I think that's we're now good. dealing with this kind of person. Exactly. So now we can figure out how do we manage it. Yeah. And what's the wisdom that I need yeah. to move forward, which is what yeah. we're going to talk about now. Like, what do we do now? We've named it. What, what, how do we move forward? Right. I don't know. So let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, you good know, luck with that, good right? luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. No, we think, you know, there's several things that you could do, but we want to talk about four mm-hmm. concrete, specific things you can do to help manage a difficult mother. So in no particular order, here's the first one. It relates to what you were talking about, Lynn. Call a spade a spade. In other words, name the behaviors for what they are. Harmful, hurtful, Mm -hmm. not okay. You know, stop the trend of minimizing, excusing, rationalizing her behaviors. Now, again, naming things 
is not blaming the totality of who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a mother is. Mm-hmm. We can separate the dignity, value, worthiness in God's eyes. That's fine. And mm-hmm. you can name the things that they've done that have been hurtful. And if and when you do this, the onus of responsibility will remain with you. If you don't do this, excuse me, if you never name, it's always going to be on you. You're always going to feel like you're the problem. Always feel ashamed and worried and stuck because you're trying to figure out how to solve the problem. But the problem isn't with you. It's with the other person. It's with that difficult mother. Mm -hmm. And this was really hard in my experience, what I've seen for, for people and for clients to do because of the false belief that, just like what we were talking about a second ago, if they name that behavior, that means they're completely ignoring or forfeiting any good or yeah. honorable or positive mem- memories or mm-hmm. qualities of their mother. And here's the truth. We can still hold those things. We can honor and validate the goodness and dignity of the person and name the things that they've done to us as harmful. And, and if and when we can do this, this is where things are going to begin to change. And this is what's going to help stop that internal civil war you might have with your difficult mother. And what I mean by that is there's a part of you Mm -hmm. that knows that you should love your mom, but there's another part of you that's angry and bitter and hurt and hurt and what's going on. Mm -hmm. But naming, you know, calling a spade a spade is going to help you to begin to move on and give, you know, those mothers grace and compassion. Yeah. And then I think the second point here, and this is where, you know, I think counseling can serve a really great purpose in this journey, but is to take ownership for your own healing. So even though you're not responsible for your mother or what she did to you, um, you as an adult are responsible for what's going to come next and how you're going to handle or manage the impact. You know, one thing that you might do is make a list of all the things that you are not responsible for. Just kind of having a concrete piece of paper in front of you, you know, that says, these are things that my mom did that were not my fault. Mm -hmm. Um, Another list that you might consider making is what are needs that I had that my mom didn't meet? And again, this speaks to, we never like to say anything bad about mom, but just back at the beginning, right? Even good Mm -hmm. mothers aren't perfect. Yeah, I'm sure my kids could come up with their lists of things that mom didn't do. And I want to make an important distinction that making this list doesn't assume you're going to tell this directly to her. Right. No, no, no. And and sometimes people need that. If nothing else, start with yourself. Yeah. Figure that out for yourself. Tell a friend or a spouse. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily going to share this with her. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to, but, but maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in this, this journey of naming these things is you are beginning the process of individuating from your mom. By naming these things, you're differentiating what is her responsibility, what is my responsibility. And as you work towards this individuation, you know, that's going to be uncomfortable (laughs) because even if you're 30, 40, 50, however old you are, if these dynamics have been in play for a long time, it's going to feel strange. And, you know, you're starting to make some changes, even if they're just internal. You might what a camera might see, you might not do anything different behaviorally, but what you are is doing internally. You're beginning to separate mom out from your head and realizing where does mom stop and where do I begin? And this is like boundaries 101, but it is super important to do. And by doing that, you are starting to take more ownership of yourself. Now, this may be easier or more difficult depending on the culture that you come from. Mm-hmm. Certain cultures, 
you know, they so emphasize the matriarchy and mom and Mm -hmm. we would never, you know, it is, you know, if you speak out against mom or say no to mom, I mean, you are like, like that is like the worst sin you could ever commit. Totally. And And that comes at higher costs. Yes. And so, you know, we're not asking you to like, you know, blow things up in your family. We're just asking you to look internally Mm -hmm. and begin to make some of those separations, which leads to kind of the next point. Yeah. The third thing that you can do, and you mentioned a little bit, is just set boundaries, you know, separate from mom. Um, Before I get into some specific ways to do this, I just want to put my pastor hat on for a second and remind us of just the important truth that Jesus loves your mom more than you do. I'll let that sit for a second. He loves your mom more than you do. He created her. He cares for her. He loves her. And he knows everything about her and her story and what she went through and what she's going through, including her fears and her insecurities and her worries. And we need to know that because it takes us, it takes you off the hook for being the primary caretaker Mm. of your mom, despite all the things that maybe she's wanted you to do. Um, And this is important because, you know, when we set boundaries, in many ways, we have to distance and detach ourselves from our moms, which means opening the possibility that their life is going to become more difficult. Mm. You know, if, if you That's you've, the hard one for That's people. the hard one. Yeah. yeah. If you've been entrenched in a pattern where you, quote, have to take care of your mom, or you've been shamed mm-hmm. if and when you don't, the boundaries to set and separate is going to be super uncomfortable. And, you know, mm-hmm. all of your internal radar systems are going to be like, whoa, this isn't natural and normal. And that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. But if you want to set boundaries that are going to last, you're going to have to have a foundational reason why you can distance yourself. And in my experience, remembering that Jesus loves you and cares for your mom more than you do, that's going to allow you to set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, pastor hat off, mm-hmm. <laughs> counselor hat back on. Rather than just get super specific, I just want to give some categories that you can think through about so setting boundaries. Some boundary categories. Yeah, yeah. boundary categories. Think about how to, the time. How much time are you actually spending with your mom? You know, if you have a trusted spouse or a friend, ask them what they think mm-hmm. and, and be open to being influenced and hearing something different than what you think. You know, they can be, spouses and friends can be great allies in figuring out boundaries because they've got a little more of an outside, neutral, maybe objective perspective. So think about just how much time are you spending. Uh, another category, think about the physical space mm-hmm. boundary. <laughs> you know, when I see you get a smile over there. Uh, how mm-hmm. often are you actually around your mother? Mm-hmm. You know, is she popping in unannounced in your house? Does she have a key to the house and does she let herself in at any time of day or night? And would she be hurt or upset if you suggested that, you know, mom, now's not a good time for you to come over. Right. Like what happens? That might be a little test. <laughs> right. For sure. You know, do you, do you have to go see her every week mm. or every day? Do you have to do things mm-hmm. for her, just being around her? So mm-hmm. uh, think about the physical space category. Uh, another one, how about responsibilities? Mm-hmm. You know, are you doing things for your mom that she should be and could be doing for herself? Now we're not talking about like, you know, somebody just, mom just had a surgery and physically right. can't walk. That's not yeah, what I'm talking about. Right. We're talking about she could do this. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're doing her finances or maybe her grocery shopping. You know, how about this one? And I know your eyes are going to light up, Lynn. Are you the middleman or middlewoman mm-hmm. between other family members, <laughs> right? You getting triangulated. Mm-hmm. I, I see this all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, kids 
will be the referee between the mom and the siblings, the mom and the family, the mom and the friends, the if and when. The mom and the dad. The mom and the dad. They it's, play yeah. the role of therapist totally. between mom and dad. Totally. Yeah. You know, and rather than stepping in or, you know, mm-hmm. playing the telephone game, mm-hmm. a healthy boundary might be saying, no, mom, I'm not going to reach out to Aunt Kathy to see if she'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to repair that relationship, yeah. you reach out to her to you reach out yeah. yourself. This is your problem. This is you. your problem, right? Um, right. You know, fi- final boundary category. Just think about a relational depth mm-hmm. you have with your mom. You know, think swimming pool. Mm-hmm. You got shallow end. You got a deep end. Mm-hmm. And mothers oftentimes they want to push and probe for information in the deep end. And once they get that info, they'll use it to control, to manipulate, maybe even weaponize it against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, you've got the choice not to let her in the deep end. Yeah. So, you know, if she asks, hey, how's your marriage? <laughs> or how are you feeling as a parent? When she tries to jump in the deep right. end, you just throw her right back out again. That's right. Yeah. Stay in the shallow Push end. Push her back to the shallow Push end. Push her back. Get, call, Change the subject. Call a lifeguard in yeah. that your husband. Hey, take her back. You know, last thing I'll say under this, oh, yeah. um, man, be ready for some pushback. Mm-hmm. You know, difficult mothers are very perspe- perceptive. And if and when they sense that you're starting to put some boundaries in and are being put in place, they're going to start testing them. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to push harder to test them. And that's normal. And, you know, things, yeah. I, I think they're going to get harder before they get better. Mm-hmm. And so if and when you do this, be ready for some pushback. And mm-hmm. as Mel Gibson famously said in Braveheart, hold, hold, hold that, line. hold that boundary. That's yeah. right. And I think that, you know, this is so good. It's very practical. And when God designed these boundaries, you know, he gave us that command to leave and cleave. That's right. And what we see is when we fail to do that, when we don't Mm -hmm. leave, you know, all the categories you mentioned, the time, the space, right, the responsibilities, when we don't have those firm boundaries where we leave and then we Mm -hmm. cleave and create our own family, all kinds of problems will follow you. All the days of yeah. your life. You know, and foundationally, yeah. leaving cleave is meant for marriages, which mm-hmm. is for sure true. It's not less than that, but it's also more than that. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not married, there's an aspect yeah. of leaving and right. cleaving that. Into adulthood. M- into adulthood. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing we want to talk about here, and there's a lot we could say, but we just want to close with this, you know, grieving and forgiving is a process. And, you know, when we talk about forgiveness, we're really just talking about releasing the other person from the debt that they've incurred with you and from the pain that they've caused you. So forgiveness looks like you're not seeking to punish, you're not harboring or nursing bitterness against them. And yet, and this is the important distinction we always want to make, that doesn't restore the relationship. Hmm. You may not trust your mother because she hasn't taken the steps to demonstrate a believable repentance. And we know that Trust is based on impact. You can't trust someone who isn't aware of the impact that mm. their actions have on you. Yeah. So this is going to look different across the board. There are a lot of factors to consider. But as you're working on individuating, setting boundaries, the process of forgiveness, you know, for some of you, you might be able to do that and still be in relationship with your mother. It's messy. It's hard. You have hard days with it, but you can stay, in some sense, connected to her. For others of you, depending on the level of hurt, pain, and the level of unwillingness, let's say, that your mom has to acknowledge that or, or you know, make any changes, 
you know, you may not be able to be in relationship with your mom. And that's unfortunate. That is kind of a last resort. But there are times when you need to cut that relationship off because it's doing so much harm and so much damage. That being said, I think as Christians, you know, we want to have a posture of forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. A willingness that if this person takes some ownership, demonstrates some, you know, desire towards change, some believable repentance, that we would maintain a posture of openness. But there's a lot of work that has to happen. Totally. I'm I'm thinking about this is why this distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation is so important. Forgiveness Mm -hmm. can be a one-man show, meaning Mm -hmm. I can have a willingness in my own heart to forgive. But the reconciling piece that doesn't necessarily, I can right. forgive someone and yeah. never see them again in my right. life. Right, because the the trust takes two people to build that bridge. Right. As much right. as you may want to trust your mother, if she's not trustworthy, you can't. And that's where grieving comes in. And that's where you grieve mm-hmm. the loss mm-hmm. of, I wish I had a mom that I could trust. I wish I had a mom that could be in the deep end with me. I long for that. I have needs. I you know, think of myself as a child in the ways that those needs weren't met. All of that is going to be something for you to name and feel what that felt like. And yet that is in your responsibility to continue to process and move forward with. So we have said a lot about mothers today. People are probably sick of us talking about moms at this point, but we hope that as we've delved into this topic today, it's given you some things to think about, pray about, work through with a trusted friend, mentor, counselor, your spouse, and begin to make some changes so that you can heal even if you have a difficult mother. Yeah, and you know, going forward, we mentioned we've got that website up with you in the weeds.com. Pretty soon we'll have some more resources and summaries about this episode. So go yeah, check that out. Um, other than that, Lynn, it's been fun yeah. uh, to be with you today. Going to go brave the quote snow. And uh, we hope you guys keep listening uh, the rest of the series. Thanks for listening. And thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of your life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Check out our website, withyouintheweeds.com. You can find all our episodes there and a whole lot more. Or if you like what you're hearing, simply follow us on Instagram. Like us and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds. Mm